She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. In search of... Michael Rockefeller. This episode was written and produced by our friend Alex Pomanzanov. It was edited by John Dabney with assistance by Mark Clark. That's a good name. The series is hosted and narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And it originally aired on Saturday, January 21st, 1977. Ooh. Is Mark Clark a good name just because it rhymes? (laughs) Mark Clark, that's great. Okay. All right. Among the Azmat people of New Guinea, there exists a way of life that has remained unchanged since the Stone Age. In 1961, it drew the attention of a restless young man named Michael Rockefeller. For the primitive Azmat tribes, life is a continual interaction of ghosts, spirits, and magic. Ooh, all good topics for in search of. Tribal warfare is commonplace and expected. Death must be met with revenge. Among these fierce Aboriginal men, Michael Rockefeller traveled to study and learn. In their midst, he disappeared and was never seen again. <gasps> oh, no. Dun, 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 dun. Entranced by a culture he had never before experienced, Michael Rockefeller passionately documented Asmat life. The Asmat was an adventure beyond his wildest dreams, yet one from which he would never return. <gasps> In search of Michael Rockefeller. During conjecture. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Missing person episode. Yep. It is one of the things that they do purport to cover. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And yep. So sometimes we have hot takes on these episodes. And my only not really hot take is that my take coming into this episode and my take coming out of this episode were completely different. So yeah, I guess my other take is that Pamansanoff also wrote and produced the Amelia Earhart episode. So there's that connection between this episode and that episode. He also wrote about killer bees and earthquakes, which may come up sooner than we expect. And he writes like six episodes this season. So it'll be interesting to see what's going on. And also I say he, I mean, with a name like Alex, it could be a woman. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We don't actually know. Yeah. I think it is a dude. I think I remember looking him up because they had that thing before. Like in the first two episodes, they were spelling his last name wrong. So um, I think it is like Alexander. But Okay. I think. My memory is shit, honestly. And (laughs) after the fact that we didn't record last episode, I'm a little discombobulated. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's Sorry about that. Oh. That's a kick in the pants, man. That's a kick I... in Uranus. <laughs> I got to say Uranus a lot in that episode. Oh, man. So, I know. It's yeah. a bummer. Mm-mm-mm-mm. So the episode opens, and it's June 1960. Michael Rockefeller graduated from Harvard University with honors. He was the son of Nelson Rockefeller, governor of New York, and the grandson of John D. Rockefeller Jr., American financier. 
and the great-grandson of John D. Rockefeller, who is the co-founder of Standard Oil. Financier, Frenchy. Woo -hoo. Uh -huh. That's financier in American. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, Nelson Rockefeller was the governor of New York from 1959 to 1973 and, not mentioned in this episode, was vice president of the United States under Gerald Ford from 1974 to 1977. In fact, this episode aired the day after Ford and Rockefeller ended their terms and Jimmy Carter and Walter Mondale were inaugurated. Because inaugurations are January 20th. This episode mm -hmm. aired on January 21st. Mm -hmm. They do mention that Michael was the fifth and youngest Rockefeller child, but they never mention the fact that he had a twin sister, Mary, who oh. was presumably named after their mother, who was named Mary. They also don't mention that Mary, the mother, divorced Nelson Rockefeller in 1962 on grounds of extreme mental cruelty. And I only mention this because you can tell from the clips in this episode that Nelson Rockefeller, despite the words that come out of his mouth, does not give a shit about anybody but himself. No, so, totally. And I feel like yeah. that's true of a lot of white rich dudes anyway. Like, they just don't give a shit about anybody. Yeah, because like when they're talking about the graduation stuff, they're like, it was an emotional moment for his father and mother. And like his mother is all like crying because she's happy. What it looks like is they took some footage of people like moving around and smiling and laughing. And then they just like took one frame of him looking all like grim and then didn't animate him at all and left that single frame of him unmoving because that's exactly what he looks like. Just stone cold. It's like he does not fucking want to be there, does not move. And then later when he's talking to you, you're like, yeah, this dude doesn't give a shit. But anyway, so. Yep. And he would be third generation like super money. Mm -hmm. Nelson Rockefeller. So, yep. Yeah, he was probably a douche. And a politician. So. So that's and a, a politician. Yeah, we saw how that worked. Uh, anyway. So it's good. So six months after his graduation, Michael Rockefeller was half a world away in Dutch New Guinea as part of an expedition to document a Stone Age tribe called the Donnie. He was a sound engineer and photographer on the expedition for six months. He then went on to document the Osmot. Osmot means tree people, and the Osmot have a rich culture based on the trees and use them for canoes and art. They are known for their wood carving. Mm-hmm. Their wood carving is awesome, dude. It's it is cool. awesome. Yeah. Basically, this guy became super enthralled with these people and their way of life and their art and, like, you know, kind of fell in love with it. It's kind of a, mm -hmm. it's a sweet story. Yeah, it's it is. I mean... He's like fourth generation, like super money. And so you're kind of like, oh, fuck this guy. But I mean, honestly, he's a privileged white kid, but he ran away from home to go be a photographer in like these. Yeah, it know, seems places. like and based on other information that I mentioned earlier, it seems like he, that might have been like his intention would be like, I have this money to do what I want. And I'm just getting the fuck away from these people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So Michael Rockefeller began collecting Osmot art. He traveled through Osmot territory often accompanied by missionaries and anthropologists. On November 18, 1961, Rockefeller began a trek up the coast to acquire some carvings that he had already bartered for. He was accompanied by Dutch anthropologist René Wassing and two native guides. Unfortunately, a tidal surge capsized the boat. The guides left Rockefeller and Wassing in the water holding onto the boat while they swam for land to go get help. But after a night clinging to the boat and fearing that their guides had failed, Rockefeller decided to make an attempt to swim to shore. 
using two empty gas cans for additional buoyancy, and Wassing tried to talk him out of it. Unbeknownst to them, the guides had made it to land, but the muddy coast meant that it was a full day until they could notify help. As soon as they did, Dutch authorities launched a search. Renee Wassing was found clinging to the capsized boat nearly 20 miles out to sea. But Michael Rockefeller was not there because he had left. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did find one of the gasoline cans, and that prompted further searches, including 5,000 native people out mm-hmm. on canoes mm-hmm. like that. And then they obviously had planes and water boats and that kind of stuff. After two weeks of searching, Michael's body was not found, and he was presumed drowned, although he would not be officially declared dead until 1964. That is not mm-hmm. mentioned in the episode, but that is a fact. But it was not long after the search ended that rumors began to swirl that somewhere in the jungle, Michael might still be alive. Yeah, this happens every time someone disappears and there's no body and it's inconclusive because people really want to believe in stories of survival or that maybe some, you know, the person has persevered and made it to land and is out there and could still be found, which I totally understand that impulse. But it's just not. Well, and then also, too, I mean, given what we mentioned earlier, you might be like, fuck, yeah, he just wanted to like just be like, I want to do this and leave me out of the whole Rockefeller shit. Like, yeah, I mean, it's possible. Right. Yeah. But not likely. Yeah. yeah. So then we switch from the jungles of Papua New Guinea in 1961 to the urban jungles of New York City in 1968. And we meet Milt Matchlin, a writer who was approached by a secretive man who would only refer to himself as Donahue. Probably wasn't Phil Donahue, but I like no, to probably not. Was. <laughs> yeah, I was going to make the same joke, so I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> There's like one famous Donahue we all think of immediately. <laughs> oh. Donahue said that he had seen and talked to Michael Rockefeller a few months earlier on an island in New Guinea. So Matchlin went to New Guinea, and after several days' travel, he met a local chief who gave them the general location of the remote island that Rockefeller was reportedly living on. They eventually found the island, which, honestly, they show, like, imagery of this, and it literally, like, think of a desert island, like, you know, Robinson Crusoe, whatever. This island looks exactly like that. Like, it's it's kind of small. You can see, like, a few trees and that kind of stuff. It's, like, that perfect, like, mental image of, like, a deserted island kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So they found an abandoned hut on the island, but no evidence of Michael Rockefeller. Mm -hmm. So Matchlin continued searching for two more months, and then he came to believe. And, again, this is not in the episode. Well, they mentioned what he came to believe, but they don't mention the fact that he wrote a book in 1972 called The Search for Michael Rockefeller. And in that book, he states that he believed that Michael Rockefeller was killed by a nearby Asmat tribe based on information from a Dutch missionary. And then they actually have a more recent interview with the chief of that tribe that supposedly killed them. And you kind of got a feel for the guy because he's talking. They Obviously, they're translating. But he's like, we remember the search. Like, there were planes in the sky and people everywhere. And we were terrified. And we blocked up the rivers to, like, our village with, like, logs and stuff so people wouldn't come. And, like, all the neighboring tribes hate us. And they want us to get in trouble. And so they're trying to blame us for this. And, uh-huh. like, I'm the chief. If we had killed him, I would know about it. 
So, I mean, you don't know if he's telling the truth, but like you totally get the five of them. Like, dude, it wasn't us, man. Don't be trying to bring it down on me, man. Uh uh. <laughs> it's true. I felt really bad for him because he's just like, no, we didn't. Know. No, that didn't happen. Like, no. Yeah. So, and then we have lots of footage of an Ozmat ceremony and discussion of how they now have mock battles instead of warfare. And um, we talk about Michael Rockefeller's notes on how the 20th century and Western culture is creeping in. And then we get a clip of Nelson Rockefeller giving an emotionless press conference talking about how his son is so passionate and filled with emotion. And it's kind of frightening to watch this like totally dead person describe how like his son was so full of emotion and passion about these people. So, hmm. yeah. And then we get a bunch of photos of the Osmot and some of the photos that Michael took. He was a really good photographer. He was. There are also photos mixed in of him. And there's one that like kind of broke my heart because he's surrounded by these people and he's just smiling and he's got these glasses on and his face is just like so bright and you can like even see it in his eyes and he just looks really happy. And you just feel like this is a guy who's found like a place that he can thrive like he clearly found a place where he was having a good time maybe wasn't going to stay there forever but like you know he was doing great work he was taking photos he was documenting the tribe they talk a lot about how he like appreciated them and he wrote a lot about how he appreciated like how minimalist their clothing was because <laughs> it just mentioned something about like not hiding the bodies i'm i'm not going to speculate on sexuality but i had a couple vibes <laughs> we're not going to go there but yeah. um I mean, that's the thing, especially like back that part, because a lot of these photos are definitely like you're like, dude, these are like National Geographic photos. Uh -huh. like he, they're yeah. really good photos. And like they show that photo of him surrounded by the tribes and where that, that smiley one. They show that a couple times in the episode. Mm -hmm. And then this one, they like are juxtaposing it with Nelson Rockefeller giving his press conference. Uh -huh. Dude, oh my god it's just that's what makes it so frightening because you see like the joy and passion in his face and uh -huh. then this dude's talking about his son disappearing and we assume being dead and there's like zero emotion in his face mm -hmm. in his tone like everything it's just like dude like come on at least try come on yeah yeah also I've, i didn't know he had a twin sister i knew he had siblings but i feel really bad for all his siblings but also for his because that's got to be a tough loss yeah, she apparently wrote a there. book in, I want to say, like, 2013 or 2014 about, like, twin loss and that kind of thing. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'm not surprised. So, yeah, I'm sure that yeah. was pretty devastating for her. Yeah. And I, and I would imagine that this whole thing may have actually been the breaking point for their mother in deciding, like, I'm out of this relationship. Like, so... I don't know. I can't yeah. say for sure, but no. But I be. mean, losing a kid never helps. But yeah, if yeah. no, sounds like there was other stuff going on in that. Well, obviously, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, not surprising. Yeah. So then we see Leonard Nimoy and he's standing outside near some trees and ferns. He's not on location, but they're trying to make it kind of look like he might be. Uh, but he's not. He's definitely in L.A. somewhere, probably. Yeah. He has his chest hair is really gray. I was surprised at how gray his chest hair was. I mean, yeah. he's got like a little gray like on his sideburns, but I was impressed because like I have like my head hair is pretty much like half and half now. I'm like my beard is like almost completely white, but I only have like a very few gray chest hairs and I've got a very hairy yeah. chest 
Well, it varies per person. He's what, late 40s here? Because if he was born in 31, 77, Mm -hmm. yeah. So he'd be, yeah, so he'd be 46-ish. 46-ish, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because he's March, so this would be, well, no, he would be 45 still because this is January of 77. Mm -hmm. So this was probably filmed in 76 anyway, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You would know all that if you had listened to the episode that we didn't record where we talk about his birthday and everything. Because yeah, so, we talked uh, about astrology and Leonard Nimoy's birthday. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. it was such a good episode. It was so good. I feel like we hit all the right beats. It was just perfect. And, of course, we didn't freaking record it. Like, of course. That just yeah. oh, well. freaking figures. Yeah. So, so on Not Location... Before Michael Rockefeller traveled to New Guinea, he spoke of doing something romantic and adventurous at a time when frontiers in the real sense of the word were disappearing. Today, his tragic loss is underscored by the accelerating demise of the Osmot people and their culture. While in New Guinea, Michael Rockefeller wrote, The West thinks in terms of bringing advance and opportunity to such a place in actuality we bring a cultural bankruptcy that will last for many years. And then we see an Osmot woman and she's chewing some bubble gum and she blows a bubble. And there's a rough looking Osmot man who takes a hit from a cylindrical pipe and he blows out the smoke looking despondent. Yeah. And by rough looking, I don't mean like, ooh, he looks like a tough guy. I mean, like he looks like down and out. He looks not in great shape. Yeah. And then we continue. And I don't think... The way this continues, it seems like this might be part of the quote. I don't think it is. I think the quote actually ended with the will last for many years, but I don't actually know because there's not really a break in it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't it doesn't feel like the same type of writing. It feels more like in search of, so I'm not sure. So this may or may not be Michael Rockefeller's words as well. Tenuously, the Osmot still hold on among the last representatives of the beginning of humanity. And then we see another Osmot male as he inserts an intricately carved nose piece into yeah, his nose. Which I don't know that I've actually ever seen someone insert one before. So that was yeah, I was kind of like, what is he doing? And then I was like, oh, he's like, yeah. he's got the holes in there and he's just poking it through. Yeah, and it's a, it's a sizable it's big. It's nose big. piece. Yeah, yeah so it, is, it just it went is. right in there. Though I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah. And that's it. This, yeah. this, episode, this episode was really kind of depressing. It was depressing because it was like, man, like this young guy who's comes from money is like, you know what? I'm going to go spend my time documenting people. And you could tell like the stuff he said, like we don't get a ton of his writing, but we do get a couple like paraphrases of stuff he had said about them. Like he really did respect their culture and think it was neat. And he was bummed out that the West was coming in and trying to like, you know, modernize these people and bring them into like Western modern culture i shouldn't even say modernize but you know what i mean like bring them into like the western idea of what modern is and yeah. didn't love that and he took gorgeous photos and then just died in a freak accident and that's the end of that yeah he so i was doing like research about it because one i'd never heard of this honestly. no me neither this came up and i had no idea about it i didn't know anything about it at all um it was one of the big big stories apparently at the time but looking into stuff about this, because again, I'd never heard about this. It seems like, for well, for one, the apparently when they're they're having to guess because when the boat capsized, right, and then the the guide swam, they figure the boat was probably about three miles from shore when the guides went to go swimming. 
Okay. And that when Rockefeller left, it was probably about 11 miles out to sea. So a bit further than when they found, you know, Rene Wasig, it was like 20 miles out to sea. So that was definitely a a longer, you know, and then obviously like direction wise too, like how are you gauging where you're actually swimming towards, right? Because you probably can't see the land, especially at night in, in an area like that, where it's not like a city where it's all lit and that kind of stuff. So there's that. But... Without blaming the poor chief that they talked to in the episode, there is the possibility that he may have been killed if he had got to shore because apparently like in 1958, the bunch of Dutch explorers killed some of the Osmot people oh. like, just like in a shootout. And we get that in the beginning and then they never really go into it too much in the episode. But, like, their tribal warfare is very, it's not like that we we just fight. It's very, like, tit for tat. Like, and they yes. mentioned a little bit, like, where revenge results in death, right? Death must be. And so some people think, like, if he had and he hadn't been with the people that he had been originally with, because, like, the as we say the Ozmat people, but, like, there are different tribes of Ozmat people. Yes. So they're not, yeah. they're not all, like, you know. It's not monolith. one big continuous, contiguous tribe. So right. Like so they fight factions. within yeah. the, the groups, right? And so there is in that area that he was heading towards, that was where that had happened with the Dutch explorers and the killing. So it may have been like a like a like a revenge thing, like white guy shows up. And so we're going to kill a white guy. I mean, we don't know. We don't know for sure. I mean, we'll never know because we don't have a body and we're never going to find it. Either it's somewhere in the bottom of the sea or it's in the jungle and been scattered and lost. Like, there's no way, right? It's never yeah. going to be found. I mean, more than likely, he just didn't make it, right? It just, right. He, Pro- it's a long been, way. He's been in the water for almost an entire day. He was further out to sea than they had been originally. You know, direction may have got twisted and you don't know. I mean, maybe they would have stars to go by so they would know what they were doing. But, you know, mm-hmm. we don't know. So, I, but more than likely, he just, yeah, he just you know, succumbed to exhaustion and, and unfortunately probably drowned. So. Yeah. Also, apparently there's a lot of like alligators and crocodile or I uh-huh. guess crocodiles and snakes and all that kind of stuff in the area too. So, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that like, I always think about what I would do in those situations. And it's so hard because like, it's so hard to remain in place in a situation like that where you're like clinging to a boat in the water. Like that is a tough sell for sure. Like this is the safer option. So like I understand the impulse of like I want to go do something and have an active role in this. And like at the you know you don't know at the time what the best option is. There's no way to know, right? You don't know if help is coming. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just such a tough situation and it's like I don't think either decision was wrong like staying or going i mean obviously we know in hindsight going was wrong but like he had no way of knowing that at the time you're just making the best choices you can with the information you have at the moment and unfortunately sometimes you choose wrong because you can't know you can't know yeah i do i as much as i like i said coming in and going out like coming in like learning i was like oh rich guy disappeared okay who cares and then coming out of it was like oh you know this is actually a really like depressing story kind of thing um i can't help but feel that despite his attempts to maybe again we don't know we're you know trying to get into his mind about why he's doing what he's doing but like maybe despite his attempts to break away from that 
life of, you know, Rockefeller or whatever and do what he wants and have, you know, some enjoyment in his life and that kind of thing and just get away from all the stuff that he doesn't really give a rat's ass about. I also can't separate the fact that, like, it's really hard to separate yourself from your upbringing. Yes. And... Like, there are parts of the story about, like, him collecting the art and he wants to make a gallery and that kind of thing to showcase their art. So, like, there's that part of his upbringing of, like, oh, this is what I can do as, like, a rich person. I can gather art and I can, you know, take it and show it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And some of that may have actually, like, antagonized some of the people because he's collecting their stuff. And, like, they're not – I mean, they're not dumb. Like, you're bartering, right? But, I mean, like, they know – you still probably know kind of what's going on in this – white person they were already had you know obviously dutch explorers and missionaries all over the place and that kind of mm-hmm. thing so i mean that could have been an issue and like he's going to this far away tribe to get art like mm. but also just the the idea of security i think that having that sort of life he had with the money and the all that kind of stuff psychologically he may have been like well of course i can make it to sleep right because yeah like, I'm, I mean, cause... <laughs> I'm i'm a slightly exceptional person despite I'm, again, everything I'm, yeah. privileged white guy who's been told his whole life that he's special yeah. and good so yes. it's, it's it's hard to say it's hard to just, like separate that and be like you know some of that may have actually contributed to it unfortunately just because you can't you can't completely break away from all that stuff it's hard right. as you try and, you know, again, we're assuming that maybe that's what he was trying to do, was trying to break away from it or whatever. But it's yeah, like, we don't know. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Well, it's like we'll it's complicated. And it's just kind of depressing because it's depressing on multiple levels because, like, here's this guy who looks like he was trying to, like, break the cycle of, like, a rich white guy and just find some enjoyment in his life and, and use that 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 comfort he has of having, like, a family with money to go and do what he wants to do mm-hmm. and find enjoyment. And then not be involved in all the, you know, daily bullshit of what that involves. And then he loses his life. And at the same time, then you're also like, oh, damn. And he was trying to break free, but then maybe he couldn't really break free. And that's actually what caused his, you know, demise because he still in his head had that sense of like, well, I've always succeeded. So, of course, I'm going to succeed now as well. So, I mean, again, we don't know, but it just it's, it's kind of hard because you just like multiple parts of it are just kind of depressing as hell. So, yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. There was one interesting thing that I was when I was checking things out. So Milt Matchlin, the guy who went in search of Michael Rockefeller and wrote the book in search of Michael Rockefeller, he is the person who coined the term the Bermuda Triangle and the Abominable Snowman. Oh, interesting. When he was an editor for a magazine called Argosy and they were okay. doing like speculative fiction stuff and then he coined those two terms. That is like his, he has like three claims to fame for coining the Bermuda Triangle, coining the Abominable Snowman, and then his search for Michael Rockefeller. Those are his three things. Oh wow! Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, ooh, connections. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots of connections. Yeah, lots of Donahue. Hmm. <laughs> oh, Phil. Oh dear. Oh dear. But yeah. He's probably, yeah, he, I mean, he probably, yeah, he probably just exhausted and drowned, sadly. Yep. Yeah. So, but yeah, those pictures you see of him, like, you do see, like, just like the, especially that one in particular, but there's some other ones too of him. Yeah, um, where he just looks happy and like, or even just not happy, yeah. but just like, he's just doing what his thing, he's just doing his mm-hmm. thing. Yep. 
Yeah. I also found out, so they say like he graduated from Harvard and then six months later he was on the expedition. In that six months, he actually was in the army. Oh, interesting. He in the army for six months and then left the army and went on the expedition. So, yeah. Huh. So it just seems like, it does really seem like he was just trying to get away from yeah it really but. does and i mean i don't know that's the story but that's the story i'm telling myself because it's mm -hmm. a fascinating yeah. narrative yep and also it's a tragic. happier i mean it's despite the the ending it is a, it's a it's a more positive narrative sure. than like oh he was just you know prepping for that future run for whatever and get my army service in get my philanthropy in doo -doo -doo. so yeah i don't think he was doing i think he was doing it because he wanted to so yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in maybe reading his sister's book, but at the same time, the title feels a little new agey to me, and so I'm kind of like, yeah. Mm, no. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I'm always interested in stuff about grief and loss, especially around siblings. I feel like that one is—it's a grief a lot of people experience, obviously, but it's one that you don't hear about as much. You tend to hear more about like losing a spouse or losing a child or you know mm -hmm. those kinds of things or losing a parent which are all devastating and awful this isn't a contest it's just that there you know it's a really specific thing to lose a sibling young and i think that that's something that you don't see a ton about and obviously having experienced it it's something that i'm interested in yeah well and my wife who's an aquarius and we talked about it in the episode we didn't record um is also a twin and that twin did not make it to adulthood and so yeah there's there's that aspect too. Sometimes it's really hard for me to remember. It's it's really weird because it's sometimes I have to remind myself that my wife is a twin because right because she has never existed twin, right? as a twin to <laughs> yeah. me. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it's very strange that there is you know there would have been someone else who looked exactly like her out in the world. So it's kind of strange. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, I'm not sure this was the best episode to come on to after our not recording because now i'm really just all Ugh. i know because the so, other episode yeah. was all kind of like gregarious and this one's kind of like mm. well then also we had the big crash when we realized we hadn't recorded it and then we come into this one which is kind of a downer I know. and so it's like oh man now i just want a cookie and a nap to be honest well <laughs> you can have one all of right. those things because we have one more episode to record so <laughs> I'm not excited about that episode, but we'll talk about that next time. <laughs> I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz and The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. Our X-Files adjacent premium feed is where we cover television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent, at least in theory. If you like what we're doing, tell a friend. We'd love to have them join us. Yeah. And on that first part, this episode at least is recorded in collaboration with Black Cat Orange Studio Studios. <laughs> we did hit the record button this time. We're doing great, guys. We're doing great. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of which, assuming we have a recording, join us next time to listen to it. And together, we'll try and figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there.
She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. In search of... Michael Rockefeller. I don't know why I thought I could take a drink when you were like, and he's Nick. I don't know what I was thinking, but (laughs) we're doing so great today. (laughs) We're doing so good. I love it. We recorded a whole episode without recording. And now we're just like, I don't even know how to do the intro anymore. Clearly we're both on our game. (laughs) Yeah.